G'day, Ideas Digest friends of the show. Before the episode begins, a clout update. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that was some used music, we'll ignore that. Clout update. W- reviews, thanks to you, have been increasing. Let me read one from Jay Mikhail. Just recently left. I'm uh, very humbled to read this. Jay Mikhail says, stumbled upon this a little late in the piece, but so impressed by the way this podcast opens a space for these ideas and asks brilliant questions to let us sit with and digest the ideas that divide us. Well done. He's been paying attention. I've had so many ideas for so long blown up by digesting some of the ideas within the podcast. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, that was my commentary, not the review there. If you're nervous to engage with the ideas here, that's a great sign you're in the right place. I could not. If I was writing these reviews myself, which, hey, maybe I've done, maybe I haven't. We'll never we'll never find out. I couldn't write a better one than that. So if, if you think you can top that, listen, you don't even have to top it. That is, if I was an English teacher, you'd be getting an A, my friend. I, I can't top that. But you can, you can leave a one-sentence review. You can rate it five stars. Listen, I'll even take a one-star review. It just means you care enough to write a review. So why are we doing this? Why do we need clout? Well, we need more clout so we can talk to the people who require us as an Ideas Digest podcast community to have clout so we can get some big names on the show that we'd like to ask some difficult questions to. So that's been uh, the clout update. Together, we can create and manufacture clout so that people listen to us so that people talk to me and talk to us as an extension. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas. These things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to find the humanity that I believe connects us. My name's Conrad, and if if you're a new friend of the show, you're welcome. You're very welcome in this space, but I'm going to be honest, disclaimer that I always put at the top of the show, this podcast is not for everybody, and it might not be for you. Uh, I don't want to put you off too early, but... On Ideas Digest, I'm searching for understanding, not agreement. So I'm not here to debate or prove anyone, any one worldview right or wrong over another. So I'm not going to debate, but I'm also not here to just frolic around in a warm, cozy echo chamber with people who share similar opinions and ideas. If if that's what you're after, I'm sorry to disappoint. Um, but I think it's a challenging practice to listen to ideas you disagree with. But I think if you stick with it, you'll end up really enjoying it. Like your vegetables. You start and you're like, oh, yuck, this is disgusting. Broccoli, what's that? Then by the end, you might be like, hmm, I could get around this broccoli thing if you sear it and put some butter on it. I don't know. I'm not a chef. So if you push through the episodes that really challenge you, that's where the practice really begins. Disclaimer out of the way. That's done. And I'd like to introduce new friend of the show, Josh Harris. Thanks for joining me, Josh. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Now, Josh, if we were to just meet in a coffee shop, you know, um, and we run into each other and surface level introductions, we've, we've started some, uh, we've 
put it, pulled up some technology together, but that's about it. If I was to just meet you, Josh, I'm like, oh, Josh, it's it's really nice to meet you. How would you introduce yourself on that surface level uh, introduction there? Oh, boy. Uh, you mean just like, I don't know how in your part of the world, what's the focus? Like what you're into or what you do for work? You know how certain parts of the world care about your career and other parts are like, what are you doing on the weekend? What, 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 do, you, uh, what do you normally ask about? Yeah, I get, it's probably like, oh, what do you do for work? What do you do is, okay. is one of the questions. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I guess uh, my answer would be that I work in marketing and branding. So I'm all, about, I'm all about messaging and communication. I help companies build their websites and get their strategy and their messaging clear. So that's sort of my, my world when it comes to work. So Josh, people, I, I, that name sounds familiar, Josh Harris. You're, you're, a, you're a branding coach. Why, why am I thinking that name's familiar? Josh, Josh Harris, what would you say to that? Has have people done that to you? Yeah, usually I just leave the conversation at that point, try to, try to walk away with my coffee. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. You're like, man, I'm just here for the drink. Uh, <laughs> Look me up right, online. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, yeah. The, so so my, uh, the, the reason I'm, I'm infamous or my, my 15 minutes of fame came from being a writer. When I was 21, I wrote a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And if you were a Christian, especially a Christian single person in evangelicalism in the, the late 90s, then that, that book title would probably ring a bell and probably have some very negative connotations related to uh, the, the environment that it helped create in the church. Aha. Uh -huh. So that's the purity culture movement that was big in the 90s. I've got to admit, I was a 90s kid, never read the book. Were you really? Okay, yeah. But some, but some girls were reading the book and I was like, all I, all I remember from being 90s kid was like, no kissing. Oh, geez, that's pretty far. And yeah, uh, that was it. Sure, that, was, sure. that, was, that was my experience. But okay, Josh, I'll be honest. Um, I have been judging you this whole time. I, I just met you. And when we just meet people, we often just judge them. But I'm going to be... You know, I'm going to confess my judgments to you so that maybe you can correct some of my judgments. How does that sound? Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. And right, so sounds good. Go for it. You can, you can like people play this game how they want. Rob Bell, he, I don't know if he enjoyed the game. He didn't, I said, Rob Bell, say yes or no, like really strict, like hop in a box and he didn't like it. So he tried to jump out. So, but my fans, the, the fan, my fans, I don't have fans, friends of the show. <laughs> they're always, they're always, um, they love the yes and no. So if you want to give it a okay. strict yes or All no, right. go with it. But if you want to Rob Bell it and wriggle right. out of the box, you can do that too. Okay. okay? There's, the I rules are loose. I, 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 I like the idea of, of following Rob Bell in something, so that'd be fun. <laughs> right. But but right, yeah, right. I'll try. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <clears throat> okay, the accent—it's a soft American accent. Uh, Josh, you're you're American. That's right. Yes, I'm gonna go east, uh, west coast. Uh, yes and no. Born on the west coast, lived for 17 years on the east coast. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Well. Mm -hmm. Watching your journey online, now these judgments, I'll just get serious quick. Uh, friend of the show, Gabriel Finocchio, who we chatted to recently, he might, he might say this, Josh, you've gone woke. <laughs> just a shrug. I, now, am I supposed to say yes or no to that <laughs> yeah. one too? Is that a yes yeah, or yeah, no? Yeah, oh. yeah. 
You know, I'm I, I'm a, in a little bit of a feisty mood. If that annoys you, I will say yes. Okay, I like it. Lean <laughs> in, lean in. Okay. Uh, exactly. Uh, Josh, uh, as I was reading articles, trying to come up with as many judgments as I could, mm. you're leading people astray. Mm. Yes or no? <laughs> I would say I would say no. Okay, great. Deny it all you want. That's fine. Um, <laughs> Some people, as they've watched your journey, which we'll go into as we, as we chat, um, you must have followed the slippery slope. We mentioned Rob Bell before. You must have followed the slippery slope of progressive Christianity mm. out, out of it. Mm. I would say no. Oh, okay. Um, another thing I found coming across was a lot of uh, responses to your public posts that you put out. Mm sharing some of your journey. And one of the things yeah. that came across was you were never truly Christian because if mm. nothing quote can separate us from Christ, I found this as a common theme. It kind of, they kind of maybe indirectly, indirectly would be saying, uh, well, you were never truly with Christ because nothing could separate you. So Josh, you were never, you were never truly a Christian. I, it, because I lived in that, theological construct that if I still believe that, then that would be true. Yes. <laughs> okay. I like that. Everyone's because the only, because the only other option is for Christianity not to be true. Oh. And so that, that has to be the case. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so last one, you must now be an angry atheist. Mm, no, no. Hard no. no. Josh, you've gone through a, a long journey that we'll, we're about to talk about, but what assumptions have you faced? Mm. What are some common assumptions that maybe in the coffee shop, maybe walking around, maybe what mm. people, when they're observing your journey, what are the, some assumptions that you face, that peak judgments that people might ma make from a distance? Right. Oh boy. I mean, I think you did a, Conrad, a great job uh, capturing some of, of judging the, you. the yes. most common ones. Yeah, you did a great job judging me. <laughs> No, you know, I think that um, one of the things that uh, I think it, maybe it's part of my personality, just my my disposition as a person, is that I'm I'm very empathetic and I I try to see things from other people's perspectives, and so I'm not surprised by a lot of those perspectives, um, and I I understand from you know having been a a really dedicated Christian for so many years and believing so fully that way of thinking about life and reality and having judged so many people who were either progressive Christians or who were no longer Christians. I understand all those thoughts that people have towards me. I mean, you mentioned Rob Bell, like I judged Rob Bell so hard. Give uh, me one. He... Give me one that you thought oh. of him. Oh my gosh. I mean, I just, you know, uh, when he wrote what he wrote about hell and he asked the questions that he asked, I was in the, you know, farewell Rob Bell camp, you know, that was wow. my, that was my tribe. And I wrote him off and I wrote him off as just wanting to pursue sin, not being serious about God, just being in it for, you know, fame and attention, whatever. Wow. It's like any explanation that would allow me or that would keep me from having to grapple with being wrong myself. I thought those things towards him. <laughs> and so, 
you know, I understand that people do that towards me now. And mm -hmm. uh, so I, yeah, I kind of have compassion for that. I understand that way of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we've kind of, kind of got a lot collected in the net a lot of the the ones you receive you because mm. your journey well i mean people people assume people assume that i'm i'm gay people have assumed that i'm going to transition my gender people you know assume all kinds of uh you know motivations for for changing your thinking on things so uh -huh. those are some of the fun ones for those who might not be familiar with mm. the journey you've gone on where does it, where does the journey, I suppose, begin? Like that key journey as to why people, why you're popping up on all these podcasts here and there, why you've made a documentary and, and all this stuff. Where, how does that journey look? You're talking about um, back when I first wrote what I wrote and those kinds of things, or you're talking about more of the change in, in perspective for me? Well, let's let's do a flyover of the the beginning point where where I guess you pop up on the radar with what you say is the fifteen minutes of fame of writing this book, mm. and then mm -hmm. over twenty years you are where you are mm. now, where you release a post saying, "I don't really stand by what I wrote in the book." Uh, that you've now made mm. a documentary. I survived. I kissed dating goodbye. That says that listens mm. to all the people that have been harmed by your book, and it shifts your perspective. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Fly through that quick journey and then i think i want to dig down into what shifts what shifted yeah so i i wrote i kissed dating goodbye it met with a lot of um success if you want to call it that in terms of the reception it had it sold a lot of copies reached a lot of people was embraced by a lot of people i became a pastor of a large church outside of washington dc joined a, a movement of churches that was um, a mix of reform theology and charismatic uh, practice. It was a rapidly growing church planting movement. And I was sort of the rising, you know, young leader in that movement. And so I, I just felt like, man, I, I was cocky. I thought I, I thought I was, you know, the, the, the golden boy, you know, and, um, that I was, I was in the right tribe, that we had the right theology, we had everything figured out. Our churches were, um, you know, better at applying scripture and really living things than anybody else. Of course, we didn't say that. We were so proud of how humble we were about so many things. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, and so I was flying high and things were going great. And the, the short um, summation of why I would get to this very different place is that in a wonderful way, all of that fell apart out from underneath me. Um, the church movement I was a part of imploded. The leaders that had mentored and trained me because of decisions I made in that, you know, kind of church movement implosion stopped talking to me. Um, our church was hit with a, a sex abuse lawsuit because of ways that we had improperly reported issues of, you know, uh, sexual abuse. I just failed in such a um, spectacular, painful way that I I was forced to to face up to things that I had I was able to ignore when everything was going great. And mm. I saw that the church that I had had helped to lead 
had created a culture, even though we said we were gospel centered and saturated in grace, we actually had a culture that was legalistic and rule based. And if you didn't get things right, you got pushed out and that hurt a lot of people. And that was kind of the, the beginning point of me saying what, what I thought was well-intentioned, what I thought was about grace is actually producing fruit in people's lives that is, that is not good. It's creating shame. It's creating pain. It's 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 piling things on people that that it's not about freedom and joy and love and peace and all the things that I think Christianity is supposed to be about. But um, so that was kind of the beginning of a wonderful unraveling. And I ended up stepping away from being a pastor to go to seminary for three years in Canada. So I moved out of the United States. I moved to a different country. I started seeing the whole world from a, a different viewpoint. You know, I was had a very myopic viewpoint growing up in the United States and began to interact with Christians that were coming from a lot of different traditions, not just even progressive, but just different traditions. And I started seeing how um, isolated, how controlled my experience of Christianity was. And at the same time, began to... Um, began to process and reevaluate my book. And so all of those things happening at the same time uh, really created a, a wonderful context for, you know, the popular word these days is deconstruction, but, you know, a taking apart of assumptions, a, a pulling away of tightly held beliefs and questioning them and, and having certain things just fall apart in my hands. And um, there was a lot of pain there. My, my marriage ended. Um, I have so much love and respect for my, the mom of my three amazing kids. And we have a, a good friendship and we co-parent together. But there was, you know, the letting go of this identity as this guy with a great marriage, this great pastor, this author of best-selling books that were, you know, that was so godly and had everything together. And I just, I, I lost all those things. And in the process you know, realize I'm not on the same page as I was when it comes to, to faith and, and beliefs. And, and so that's kind of the, that's kind of the, uh, depending on your, your viewpoint, the implosion of Joshua Harris or the, the fireworks and the, <laughs> the new era. Your journey is a collision of so many, so many different unique elements. You have, we're doing a series on sexuality at the moment and talking to different people about purity culture and, and how they've kind of struggled through purity culture. And then your journey goes kind of begins being held up as like a, I wouldn't say a model, but a, but providing a framework for purity culture. And then your journey goes through a deconstruction and then a reevaluation. And it, and we just did a series on deconstruction as well. So you're, you're a collision of like, a lot of the themes we've been exploring on the podcast. It's it's interesting to me that I would have had the assumption and thinking about it, it wouldn't have been a very good one. I would have had the assumption that you were, because I guess mega church pastors, generally mega churches here are pretty progressive here in Australia. Or at least for me growing up, Hillsong, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, they're heaps progressive. Um, so I would have, I would have had the assumption that you were a, like more of a progressive Christian, but then thinking about it, mm -hmm. you, I mean, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, that was a book about a very conservative worldview and way of seeing the world. Mm -hmm. What 
Was it a conservative upbringing that led you to have that perspective and then write that book? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's some an interesting, you know, like kind of context this context that you have in Australia. Um, but yeah, I was a part of a church that was very conservative um, theologically uh, when it came to gender roles. When it came to you know just about any topic, we would be on the conservative, conservative end of that for sure. Mm-hmm. And a brief summary for those who might not be familiar with the book "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." What was the basic mm. premise of it? The basic premise was that uh, if we were going to be serious about saving sex for marriage and honoring God and being pure, then we had to do more than just not have sex at the last minute, that we needed to stop dating, that dating was a distraction, that dating was practice for divorce, that um, you know we should use our singleness to enjoy friendships with the opposite sex, but really be, be focused on serving God and growing personally, and that dating was really not God's best. That was the idea behind the book. And as a branding coach, perspective the work you do now why was Mm. that book so successful because it seemed to Mm. be well i mean you're 21 and you're a best-selling author that's pretty Mm. phenomenal Mm. yeah well you know there's a there's a book by the author malcolm gladwell called the tipping point Mm -hmm. um came out i think in the the early 2000s but it's a fascinating look at why certain ideas catch on and spread like wildfire. And the concept behind it is basically that there are, you know, subgroups within any culture and ideas will bubble up there or trends will bubble up there. And then they will reach a a tipping point where they tip into the broader culture. So the, the fashion that you see right now, you know, on the streets of New York City will maybe reach the rest of North America in, you know, five months or six months or however long. It, it will eventually tip over into the broader, you know, community. Um, and I really, when I read Malcolm Gladwell's book, it made sense to me of what had happened with I Kiss Dating Goodbye. There were ideas in the sub Christian subculture of homeschooling that were taking place um, around what was wrong with dating, parents wanting to protect their kids, wanting to isolate their kids from worldly influences. Uh, there were a lot of conversations around books like Passion and Purity by Elizabeth Elliot, uh, and then even much more extreme conversations around betrothal, essentially arranged marriage uh, that were taking place. And so I was in the middle of all those conversations in my subculture, and I had a come to Jesus moment where I was like, I got to get serious about serving God. I, I kind of imbibed all the ideas of true love waits and saving sex for marriage, and I basically popularized a lot of those ideas. I packaged it in a book that was accessible to other young people and other teenagers. And those ideas in the subculture tipped over into the the broader Christian culture of the United States. And what you you know, what we have to remember, you know, it was a different era. And people were scared about AIDS. Um, there were political things happening in the United States related to uh, anti-abortion legislation and and issues that were taking place. The church was trying to push back against the influence of a secular culture and MTV and, you know, just all these different kinds of things. 
And, and so my book kind of captured that moment of people's fear and desire to, you know, protect themselves and experience something better. And it was this very naive, formulaic, legalistic, but, you know, presented in a way that, that was compelling to, to some people, you know, I, it was, it was a, an honest <laughs> um, conviction of myself at the time, but you no, know, I was, I was writing it when I was 19, 20 years old and I had so little experience and ended up really making all these promises about, you know, if you do these things then God will bless you. And, and uh, it, it was really short-sighted. And I think, um, and, and eventually I, I came to see really harmful to people. Was your age a factor in, I guess, your popularity and success in that there's this young guy who's writing mm-hmm. very conservative ideals that, you know, are very contrasted to the, the scary, secular, sexual free world. Mm-hmm. Did that, did your age in combination with these more conservative ideas, did that contribute to you getting picked up and, and, and pastoring a church Mm. and and all those things? Or am I just making that up? Mm. Yeah, no, I think it was, I think it was a part of it. I think that, uh, you know, just like every generation you have the new like boy band that comes along, right? It's not that they're, it's not that they're necessarily making, they're not making better music. Um, but they are kind of capturing the attention of a new group of people who are their age, right? And so I think that um, my my age was a was a part of the novelty. You know, it's just like in churches where you have the young person stand up and give their testimony, and everyone's like so excited that the new generation is being serious about Jesus and and so on. Um, you had pastors, you had parents saying, "Here's a young person that wants to be serious about serving the Lord." And, and so I think that was a big factor. And then I think with the, the church situation, um, you know, the church movement as a whole was trying to look to the next generation. And I think that, um, you know, my, my mentor at the time, I think he wanted to be someone that was actively passing the baton to the next generation. And I think that was a source of identity for him and a, an example that he could show other people to say, I'm being serious about I'm not holding on to power. I'm being humble. I'm passing this on. So, you know, all these things are at play in, in the ways that um, we, we make decisions. And, and I just like naively thought, oh, yeah, I'm ready for this. I must, you know, if, if everyone thinks I'm, you know, ready to step into this role, then I'm qualified and I'm called and I'm, you know, I've got what it takes. And uh, of course, 45 year old me looks back on that and just says, oh, man, you've got you got so much life that you need to live. You've got so many questions you need to be able to wrestle with. You're just, you're just taking on all of these values and theological positions without really uh, understanding the, not only the importance, but the, the issues that are really at stake. Because what makes you, I think, so unique, we, we don't see it. I mean, I, I don't see it ever is that open recognition of a new perspective and Mm. a change as a person as you grow up. Whereas I think we are just programmed in society to, if we do change, we'll ignore the the fact that we've in Mm. fact changed. We certainly won't come out publicly Mm. and say, Hey, I used to think this and I'm different Mm. now. Like you, you just see politicians, you play footage of them 20, 30 years ago Mm. saying something 
super sexist or inappropriate Mm -hmm. and they'll just kind of ignore it rather than being like oh yeah i was a bit sexist back then uh i've changed because i've you know Mm. developed society's changed and i've grown for the better Mm. what what changed for you as you're going through this as you occupy this world where i suppose from your like all these forces seem very understandable you grew up in probably a pretty sheltered subculture that gave you these ideas and you took them seriously. So seriously, you went, how do I marry this with culture? And you wrote a book about it and you're, you're serving God in that way and it's working and then pastors are trying to empower the next generation, which is something that, you know, is a really good thing. You know, you don't want to be holding on and fighting the whole time. And so all these factors right. kind of come together and they're very reasonable and it kind of makes sense how it would play out. But... Mm-hmm when that's happening to you, it seems like that would very much consolidate your identity of here's who I am. Here's what I think. Mm. How did that ever shift? Given that so Mm. many people were like, Josh, this is the best direction you're called. This is amazing. Mm. How do you ever come Mm. to the place where you went, Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Conrad, I think you make a really good point. And I've heard other people talk about this, like that the more identities that you have that are tied to uh, certain ideas, the harder it is to change your thinking. You don't even realize this, but you have this intrinsic knowledge that if I ask this question, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my friends. I'm going to mm-hmm. lose my community. I'm going to lose respect. I'm going to lose finances. I'm going to lose a salary. So, you know, most people don't think about it at that level. We just kind of say, I believe these things because I have faith, because I believe the word of God, because I, you know, I love the, you know, what the Republican Party stands for, <laughs> what, you know, all these different, but we don't yeah. recognize how much we're influenced by the, the community around us, the pressure around us and, and so on. Um, which is why I think even the Bible is, is makes such a big deal about not failing to keep assembling together with other Christians and having others encourage you and so on, because it does keep us in the faith. And you mm. can apply that to, to so many different ideas. When, when a person goes outside of their, their tribe, I'm not even just talking about religion. You know, it could be going to a different country, travel, interacting with people with different viewpoints. It challenges so many different assumptions that's why travel is so transformative to to people you know it's not just um like just a fun experience it it shakes the way you view the world in different ways and so i did have a lot of identities that were um wrapped up in my christian faith Mm. in my my family of origin um being an author of these books this was you know, the books be- were, were my identity of success. It, it, they, they qualified me in a lot of ways. If I hadn't had a best-selling book, would I have been put in the position of senior pastor of a 4,000-member church as young as I was? Probably not. You How know? old were you? And then I was, I was 30. I was 30 mm-hmm. years old. So, you know, then, then it's, you know, different roles in, you know, speaking at, at Christian conferences, being on the Gospel Coalition, you know, whatever, all these different things mm-hmm. that, you don't realize it, but it's it's piecing together your sense of of worth and your your sense of safety. And I think what happened in my life, which I I don't really wish on anybody because it it's it can be very painful, is that there were 
there were circumstances that caused those identities to get stripped away from me. You know, so when our church went through this sex abuse lawsuit and and we were I was facing the decision, you know what? I I need to be ready to fire any of the guys on my pastoral team if I re- if we have to do that to protect the church. Not because these men had committed sex abuse, but because if if they'd made a mistake in reporting, I need to be ready to do that for the good of the church. And then we had a, a this independent investigator come in to help us look at the whole situation. And I remember the phone call where he says, you know, I don't, I have not found that there's some conspiracy to, you know, to protect child abusers, but you guys made some massive mistakes in how you reported things. You, you know, there were moments when you should have called the police and you tried to work it out on a reconciliation, you know, kind of Christian way of doing things. And one of the worst examples of this was when Josh was leading in this particular moment. And I didn't even realize that. And I remember thinking, I need to be willing to fire myself from this role. Mm. That was literally, that was literally the first time that I had ever thought that I wouldn't be the lead pastor of that church for the rest of my life. That moment of even considering that it was part of stripping away that identity. Mm. And I know, again, eventually I, I moved away from that. I, I realized I don't want to be a pastor. That was a huge moment of saying, of stripping away this, this identity. Everybody thought of me as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Reevaluating my book and being able to get to this point of saying, I've sat down with too many people who I recognize my book harmed to keep this book in circulation. I, I, I unpublished my books. I lost that part of my identity. You know, my marriage ending, I lost this identity of people thinking of me as this guy with a great marriage and, you know, has answers and so on. Mm. And again, painful, painful experiences. But when you lose those things, it gives you the the freedom and the open space to say, Mm. what do I actually want? What do I actually believe? Am I believing it because it's been handed to me? Or am I believing it because I, I believe it's true and I believe it's beautiful and and so on. And so I, you know, I, again, in many ways, I've really fallen like on the measurements of success or the measurements of attainment in, in life in so many ways. But I'm so grateful for that, Conrad, because um, I, I think in many ways I was stuck in a place that was, was not authentic, that wasn't life-giving. Uh, and I, I'm still, you know, I'm still walking out that journey. Mm, the the story you paint and the picture you paint of your life is this you kind of got what you wanted at a young age mm-hmm. of the success yeah. and with success mm-hmm. perhaps it sounds like what you, what we're all maybe actually chasing is identity is certainty what am i here for and if you're a christian it's mm-hmm. why what is my way to serve god uniquely help people all of those mm-hmm. things but as i hear you mm-hmm. unpack that your it's very attached to identity if your success mm. created an identity that then built incentive structures around you like you're saying money yeah. people connections job uh, marriage mm-hmm. relationship like that book had this this invisible effect to saying well you must have a great relationship josh because you wrote this book mm-hmm. and it builds mm-hmm. it almost builds this bubble around you identity almost seems like this this bubble that's impervious to the critique and this moment where that investigator said to you, Josh, this is what like you made this mistake or this is what it looks like to not to, 
be negligent in this aspect. Mm-hmm. That almost sounds like one of the first dominoes that that went, oh, maybe I don't have it all mm-hmm. figured out. Mm-hmm. Right. What? Yeah, what? That's, that's totally right. And it, I mean, I think what you're saying is the, the way that I would state it is success and identity is this thing that we chase so much, but it mm. can actually become a prison. Hmm. A prison to what it sounds like growth and development and openness and change and new perspective. Right. Um, right. That I can't, I can't let go of if I, if I, you know, question, if I want to explore, if I want to open my heart to a person that has mm-hmm. a different viewpoint. I mean, even mm-hmm. just what you do on this podcast, a lot of people would say is dangerous in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Because yes. if you if you open your your heart to even consider a viewpoint that that is different than yours, then you lose that certainty, that sense of rightness, or you could change your mind. God forbid. <laughs> and so, the safety of a prison, you you end up staying in, even if maybe you don't, you know. You don't actually want to be there or you're not happy there. Yeah, you're describing this interesting tension because there's this very, it's very uncomfortable to be uncertain, mm-hmm. to, to not know, to uh, mm-hmm. what's that, oh, what's that saying where it's like, don't have a, such an open mind, your mind falls out or um, don't be swayed too much. Like it's kind of a bad yeah. thing to, to be uncertain, but you're describing mm-hmm. the suffering that like, maybe does it always come or does it eventually come mm. the, the suffering if you're mm-hmm. open to it of realizing that you were wrong for so long maybe that's why we mm. turn a blind eye to it because the incentives become mm. so great that it's probably easier to be comfortable mm. in certainty but but that comfortability seems mm. like a trap you're, you're describing very much mm. uh, an imprisoned way of moving through the world that limits growth i wonder yeah what? And, and I would say it yeah. not only it not only limits growth, but it it cuts you off from other humans, and it cuts you off from parts of yourself. Like you have to actually close off dreams, desires, thoughts, whatever it might be, and you have to distance yourself from other people, and and refuse to see the humanity wow. of somebody who thinks differently than you, lives differently than you. And you can do this when it comes to race. You can do this when it comes to sexuality. You can do this when it comes to politics. You have to deny their humanity and demonize them because if you don't do that, they might get close enough for you to recognize you don't have all the answers. And then your your you know your prison castle falls apart. Yes, that's that's what I heard in when you were describing your journey at the top there, hmm. talk to me about the gateway drug idea or experience that happened. So you had this moment as you're a mega church pastor, having a, a, a sh- like a bit of an earthquake being like, Oh, I'm the head pastor hmm. and the buck stops with me. And this is kind of could be my fault. Hmm. When you, when you're saying in order to maintain this, this worldview, you must shut pe- We must shut ourselves off from the humanity of those who disagree with us. We can't encounter them. Hmm. Is that what happened when you went to seminary? Like what began to really unpack these ideas? Because you have this very conservative, coherent, uh, pretty consistent worldview that makes sense of everything, but excludes a lot of people and a lot of experience and worldview. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. brought you to the point where you, I mean, had such a, Mm -hmm. a shift in perspective where you went, oh, 
the thing I'm best known for, I don't agree with at all now. Was it a mm -hmm. theological idea that shifted? Was it an, an encounter with another person mm. in seminary asking a question? What, what was it? Mm. Yeah, for me, it was so it was so tied to my own experience. I didn't I didn't have some sort of um, theological crisis where mm -hmm. I, you know, read a certain perspective and then begin to doubt in some way. That was never really my experience. I think a lot of it was tied to um, recognizing the problems in my book, which were such a, a you know, those ideas had shaped my entire life, not just because I wrote the book, but because I lived the book. And so as I was interacting with all these other people who had tried to live the book and had been harmed by that, I started seeing, it was like a mirror was being held up in different ways. I'm seeing their story, but I'm also recognizing things about my story and, um, and feeling, you know, regret and disappointment in different ways. And and a lot of the, you know, the interactions with people, you know, I hope because I because I felt weak and I that I didn't have all the answers. And also because I I finally stepped away from being a pastor who had to be kind of defending the the doctrine and the theology of our church. I was able just to be a student. I was able to listen. I was able to ask questions without so much fear of where the questions or the answers would, would lead me. Mm -hmm. And um, I had so many different conversations during that time. And it was really, yeah, it was one, it was one step at a time. And, you know, whether you want to say dominoes, whether you want to call it a slippery slope, there is a certain <laughs> reality that ideas have consequences. And, you, and especially if you take a step and say you're willing to, consider that you might be wrong about something mm. well then you then you open up the whole category of wow if the church got you know fill in the blank so wrong mm. could this also be wrong mm. and you know i mean the interesting backdrop is, is that while all this was happening um you know i moved up to canada in 2015 the presidential primary was taking place donald trump was running for president oh, that's ridiculous that's that would <laughs> never happen never he became president there was a total embrace of his, you know, policies and attitude and mindset by by the evangelical church. It was a very jarring moment of sort of seeing like everything that I'd always grown up with when it came to Christianity and politics, but like all the even attempt to hide it as just a total power grab and, you know, just this hypocritical, you know, total, you know, ignoring all these things that we said were so important and we'd attacked Bill Clinton because he was an immoral man and you know, blah, 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 all those things. It's like that happening in the, in the backdrop behind me while I was having all these questions and struggling, it did have a big impact on me because it made me start saying, wait a second, all the things that I've, mm -hmm. I've been told, all the things that I believed, all the, all the ways that I've related to the, the world and protected myself and who I've criticized I don't, I don't know that that's accurate. And so it was a, it was a strange kind of, um, you know, pulling on one thread and the whole, the whole sweater ends up coming apart. Yeah. It sounds like two things I'm hearing you were, you removed whether intentionally or through some like unfortunate event, 
the incentive mm. structures that required you to hold your worldview there, being a church pastor and being mm. infallible, you realizing even as a mm. church pastor, oh crap, I've gotten some things wrong. Mm. Then you stop being a church pastor. Mm. It seems like when we remove these incentive structures that require us to shut out those voices simultaneously yeah. while seeing the rise of somebody that at least optically, without even going into mm. policy, my pet hobby is American politics, so we can chat about that later. But uh, the rise of somebody who optically is so... What's the word <laughs> without triggering too many audience? Oh, it's triggering. Like very repulsive, like sex scandals, money at all costs, like, and then having this Christian community that's like, no, no, we love Jesus and we love Donald Trump. It seems like this mm. jarring effect where you remove the incentive structures and then this big mirror is held up saying, don't you believe some of these things that lead people in this direction? Is that kind of some of the mm. factors that are at play that make you begin to go, yeah. well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, where, where, do, where did I hop off the train? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic summation of, of what my experience is. And I, I mean, I recognize Donald Trump uh, being supported by evangelicals doesn't mean that Christianity is, is not true. There's a lot, there's yes, a lot yes. more to it. There, you know, there's, there are many different expressions of, of Christian faith and so on. I think I just reached such a point of saying, I I don't want to be identified with, and I'm not trying to live my life according to the rules and structures of this this tribe any longer. And mm. I I don't feel that I can um, ask the questions and even consider who God is if there is a God, and and go in the places that I want to go in terms of growth as a human being. If I'm still trying to say, yeah, I'm still with you guys, and I still identify with you, mm. and I still want to play by all these rules. I just reached the point of being like, I'm, I don't, I, I want there to be um, integrity between what's actually happening inside me and, and, you know, the outward perception that people have. Um, mm. And I think that's been, that's always been something that's been important to me because I just hate that, uh, that double standard that, that we can have as leaders. Um, you know, the leader changes and kind of moves on, but all the people that believed all the stuff that he taught, they're still living, you know, in the crap mm. of all of it. And, and so on. And I just, I felt like as someone who has, you know, church disciplined people in the past and stood in judgment over people in the past who were not living according to the, the, the standards of Christianity, I was like, I'm ending my marriage. I'm not, I'm not, you know, believing in the same ways. I want to affirm my gay and lesbian friends. I, I'm not at the same place and I don't want to continue to have this kind of public perception of me when internally that's not where I'm at. Mm. And, and, you know, I think the thing there is like, I, I don't have a animosity towards the church. I, I want to keep the door open for myself mm. to, to grow and learn. And if that one day means I land at one day identifying again as a Christian, I don't want to shut that door any more than I want to shut any other door. I don't want to mm. be in a different prison, you know? Mm. Um, but that kind of freedom to, to ask and explore is something that that's really important to me. And, and um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I use the phrase, I'm still unfolding. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of how I would describe. Because you came out and I think on one of your Instagram posts saying, I like the, the label Christian doesn't, doesn't hold weight for me. And what I discovered reading some of people's responses to you when a Christian, a prominent Christian 
shifts a perspective or becomes an atheist. It's, it's mm. big news. Like mainstream media is like, check out, we got one. Mm. And then, you know, the Christian world's like, ah, well, he was never really one of us. And there's always these, like the, the back and forth there. But I noticed you got, mm. you got a lot of kudos from the Christian world for letting go mm. of the label, which was very interesting because you've got progressive Christians like uh, Rob Bell, who we've spoken about before, mm. who's very much like affirming LGBTQ um, people mm. and... Uh, all the other like very progressive em- embracing other religious worldviews saying, Oh, they've probably got something too. And very open, but he's, he's holding mm. the Christian label and he's like, and that seems to really trigger the <laughs> certain parts of Christianity. Cause they're like, that's not true Christianity. Yeah. And Rob Bell would say, right. who defines Christianity? And they're like, Oh, you're so slippery. Mm. You're slippery ill. We can't grab you. Um, but you, but you kind of got a bit Which of... Which resp- sounds a lot like Jesus, to be honest. It sounds a lot like Jesus, but you but, know. <laughs> because when you came out and said, I don't think I, this label is helpful for me and my journey anymore, they were kind of okay with that. They were going, well, you can, Josh, you can affirm LGBTQ people and say sorry, mm-hmm. but don't do it whilst yeah. holding the Christian label, which I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... Um, I, I think there needs to be space for people to change and grow in whatever way they want to. If that is, you know, if I do I do coaching with people where we work on message clarity and I'm trying to help them unpack their story and own their own voice and share that with the world. And some of the people I work with are, they have no connection to the church. Other people grew up in the church and have left the church completely. Others have change their views in the church, but they it's important for them to stay in the church and reform the church and, and so on. And I celebrate all those different options. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to in any way make the, the statement that somehow what I did is a better way or a, you know you know a more courageous way or anything like that. I think for me at the time, I did not want to I was so burned out on arguing over theology and arguing over doctrine. And I just wanted to say, you know what, I, I'm out guys. I'm not trying to convince anybody, you know, of what I believe. And I would say too, I'm, I've been so steeped in a very conservative reading of scripture and view of these different things that it was hard for me. It's easier for me to go from saying I'm no longer a Christian, you know, a Christian to no longer a Christian than it was to go from I'm a Christian to a progressive Christian (laughs) because that way of reading the scriptures was just so foreign to me and hard for me to get my my head around um maybe i'll maybe i'll enter back in you know through that that door i I have no idea down the road but um i I just have so much respect for the christian faith i didn't want to play around i was at a place where i wasn't believing in the same way and i didn't want to kind of keep a label just for the sake of you know kind of a backup insurance kind of plan but that's just me. And that's just where, where yeah. I was at the time. So Yeah, I, I hear a lot in your stance now the journey of how you, the type of Christian you were before coming from a more conservative camp. Um, mm-hmm. I can hear that reflected in going, I'm just, mm. I don't, I can't play these games that I critiqued for so long before. And mm. it, this makes just more straight sense to kind of leave that label to yeah. then grow outside of it and mm. have, mm-hmm. I guess, a more consistent story um, mm. as you unpack things. I'm, 
I'm really curious if I can ask you a question, Connor, because I don't even know what is your church background like. Where where are you coming from? Are you are you a Christian? Are you coming from a conservative viewpoint? Like, what's your well? What's your, what's your deal? Mid mid plug on the show, I hide it from a lot of my listeners on this show to because oh, wow. what I've discovered for new friends of the show listening, mm. if I say what I believe people then have an mm. idea of what I should be doing and I'll attract a lot more. To be honest, I'd get more listeners if I had a coherent story and maybe branding coach mm. can you'll, you'll, uh, prove me right on this. But if I had a more consistent- No, but I love that you're, yeah, you're living in the the messy middle, it sounds like. Yeah, that that's right. But, mm. and so I, I do mm -hmm. have a, a, a paywalled show telling me what you really think. And I, it's only to reduce, I don't, I don't actually <laughs> want people to really listen to it. Because it ruins the illusion of like my openness and like I can listen to anybody because I do have opinions, but I, I find they get in the way of say you, Josh, sharing what your journey, if I'm to then say, oh yeah, but I disagree. It's like, I, I've discovered so that's what, yeah. 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 That makes sense. So what you're saying is that I have to follow you on OnlyFans to really know what you actually believe. <laughs> that, that's you'll, right. You'll show, you'll show, you'll show a little uh, doctrinal standpoint if I... That's a there. really good way of putting it. I should start an OnlyFans <laughs> where I just put up opinions about things and maybe I'll do it in a low-cut top or something. That's a that's a really good idea. Um because and so my yeah, my background coming from a probably a more liberal arm of a conservative church, Adventist, if you've ever mm. heard of that. So that's where oh, I come from. And mm. then I stopped the journey there. So if you're curious, jump the paywall. Or don't, because if there's too many people, I don't know, I get I get stage fright if too many people are watching. I don't want people to know what I think. Um, I like to hide in anonymity and let Josh, you be vulnerable and open. I really appreciate you doing it. This is the, that's the harder position. So, uh, so, so Josh, I kind of want to swing a little bit to sexuality, the sexuality half of it. Your book... I'm only going to answer questions if you answer them first. That's the new rule in this this interview. I just want to say that right now. I've never Can had I get someone... some hearts on Instagram? Can I get some hearts on that? Conrad has to answer every freaking question he asks me. Look at all those hearts. I'll tell you what. Get all kinds of... I'll tell you what, Josh. I'll tell you what. I will. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I want to protect your paywall. I want to no, protect it. No, no. You, I will. You submit... You guys fire through as many questions as you want. And Josh, you ask as many questions as you want. I will answer all of them and put it in an episode behind the paywall. And then, oh, and, I, okay. and I'll give it to you, Josh, for free. Okay. And I will release it on YouTube for free for the rest of you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, man. This is, you've got a lot of hearts now. Um, so your, your book, As You Sit Now, the book you wrote and now unpublished your book yeah. and its ideas and purity culture at its best. What is that? Mm. Well, I would say at its best, it's one opinion and approach to sexuality. And I want to protect people's right to, if they want to believe that for themselves, fine. You know, if people want to, save sex for marriage, only have sex, you know, with their spouse in a heterosexual relationship. I, I am not going to judge them or criticize them and so on. The thing that I don't want to be a part of is forcing other people 
to adopt a viewpoint or spreading a message that says, unless you do this, you are not accepted and, and loved by God. You are not pure. You are not holy. You are not good. I don't want to be a part of, of that kind of control and uh, approach to things. And so, um, you know, the ideas behind purity culture, which I think are rooted in the Christian sexual ethic. This is something that I don't think that, I don't think there are many churches that have really reconciled this and really been really clear. They're sort of hiding behind a paywall too, <laughs> to use that phrase, you know, where they're like, oh yeah, purity culture, that was that was bad. That was Josh Harris. That was I Kiss Dating Goodbye. But they're not necessarily being honest about, well, what is the Christian sexual ethic? And if you really believe that, then what are you saying to the singles in your church or the people that are looking at pornography or whatever it might be, they're not willing to come out and say, you know what? It's not such a big deal. Have sex before marriage. It's not the end of the world. They don't say that. They'll just maybe like, oh yeah, well, you know, don't, don't, we don't want to do purity culture, but I don't know that they're actively teaching something and communicating what the standard is and if the standard matters that much. So mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I got off track in answering your question, but that's mm. those are some of the, the thoughts I have when I look at the the scene, you know, the scene now in churches. Yeah, I just had a bit of an epiphany listening to you when you you, you wrote a book, and now you mm. say I don't really agree with those ideas in the books, but you're not saying they're wrong, and I'm going to prove I'm going to prove it to everybody. You you're not kind of opposing it in that in that way where you're saying anyone who believes what I used to believe is an idiot Mm. and cannot believe it. And in that Mm. you're, you're kind of holding it and saying, I don't think that anymore. I've moved on from that. Well, you know, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than that because what I would say is if I, I can very easily switch over to a Christian worldview you know, the, the mindset of someone who believes the Bible. And I can, in that mindset, critique I Kiss Dating Goodbye and say, this is extra biblical. This is not taught in scripture. This is taking scripture out of context to make points. It's adding things that are not, you know, you know, communicated or commanded yeah. in scripture yeah. and so yeah. on. And so I, I think that, that it's wrong even, you know, within the context of, of, of faith and, and Christianity and so on. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that there are real problems there that I would critique not to make someone feel bad or to try to tear them down, but to say it's damaging if you are adding to scripture as a Christian, if you're mm-hmm. adding rules and regulations, it actually, it actually harms the, you know, the, the sexual ethic of Christianity to add to it. Um, but I'm standing outside of the church yes, now that's right. <laughs> and I'm not trying to play by all of those different standards and rules. And I, I think it's, I think that the Christian sexual ethic has some, some real problems to it. I think it can, can it, there are be- beautiful parts to it. And I think yeah. that there are um, some negative parts to it. And I don't know that, I don't know that there are very many honest conversations about sex in secular culture, in Christian culture, you yeah. know, everybody just want to kind of wants to hold up their brand and be like, it's the best. Yes. And they're not necessarily honest about the downsides to things. You know, there mm-hmm. are downsides to saving sex for marriage. Mm-hmm. Do, we, do we talk about that in church? No. There are also downsides to a, you know, a sexual lifestyle where you're having tons of different partners. Potentially there can be downsides. There can be moments of sadness and regret. So yeah. I just wish there, and I hope for more honest conversations where people are able to 
find their own way, mm. that it's it's based around consent, it's based around mutual pleasure, it's based mm. around really what what you know fulfills and and builds up and brings life to individuals. I like when you're saying we need honest conversations around these things because I think mm. I think both worldviews from my conversations I've had so far to different friends of the show on sexuality, mm-hmm. the, the religious worldview, mm-hmm. to talk branding and business with you a little bit, the, the religious worldview is it's selling a product. It's here's yeah. the worldview. It's a, it'll make you whole and complete. Mm-hmm. You need to be like this. And the, and the Christian sexual ethic is, mm-hmm. is good for X, Y, and Z. But then equally, the, mm. I, I'm almost calling it the religious secular world now that whatever, however you want to address mm. non-religious world, um, mm. it, it's also always selling a product. And when you're always selling a product, mm. it has to make you whole and complete. This is capital consumerism 101. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've discovered mm-hmm. is that an honest mm-hmm. conversation when you're saying, I would like an honest conversation about these things. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that can exist when you're selling a product. And even if that product isn't a physical product, but it's the product of your right worldview. It's the product of your s- fulfillment. And now with Instagram and mm-hmm. um, m- people with, with their own biz- like businesses as themselves, mm-hmm. they are a product. Mm-hmm. And if you're a product, mm-hmm. your worldview can't be faulty. And so therefore you can't have an honest conversation mm-hmm. where you say, listen, I'm all f- i'm not for saving sex before marriage but you know what mm-hmm. i encountered these hardships and difficulties when dating multiple different people at different times because you know mm. you're selling a product and it's too incoherent and it, it's like it's too messy to really package and sell and it sounds like mm. honesty which is what i see in your journey which i'm so thankful for you to share it in depth mm. on the show here mm. is saying here's what i got wrong here's Mm -hmm. where it didn't work for me and here's where Mm -hmm. i had to let it go to to kind of move forward what's your take on that Mm -hmm. oh i think that's a that's a huge insight that that there there's a monetary implication you know there's a (laughs) to to the ideas and i think we need to be more honest about that reality in other words there is a product that's being sold you know, and um, part of the reason people aren't as honest about what they do, or they they just want to lock in and be even more dogmatic about what they're what they're selling, is because that's what gets people through the door, and that's true in the church, and that's true in the secular world. And I don't have a problem with making money. You know, I I enjoy being you know now it kind of in the secular world doing market <laughs> marketing and branding because I'm able just to be honest. Like, yeah, I'm trying to help this business grow. I'm trying to help this company make more money. It's unapologetically about increasing revenue. And I think that leads to human flourishing. So I I don't have a problem with that. There can be wrong applications of that, of course. But where I think it's problematic is exactly what you touched on. When it's about ideas that shape the way people live and are presented in a way that, that kind of make them feel that this is the only way to do things, I think it's so important that we be honest about the monetization that's behind that so that people can say, oh, wait a second, you have a vested interest in me believing X, Y, or Z. And and that's where, I mean, I think the church needs to be more honest. You know, you're talking about millions and billions of dollars 
you know, in, in churches, they're huge organizations. They're, they're, they're nonprofit, but they're, they're supporting, <laughs> you know, salaries and, and lifestyles and, you know, preachers and sneakers kind of, you know, kind of stuff out there. And you, you have to stop and recognize that, look, certain ideas can't be questioned because if that goes away, then the whole purpose for the church existing goes away. It's like, why are we still showing up? If the, if, if the reason that this is, this is all about saving me from sin, well, if you stop categorizing certain things as sin, well, do I, then why do I still need this? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I, you know, again, just honesty about, about that motivation, which is always present. Mm. And I have to be honest with it myself. Like, yeah, if I say certain things, that could make certain people get really angry with me on Instagram. That mm. reality never goes away. We all have to be honest about it. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it makes us more wise as we listen to different voices. Mm. And it, it sounds like I'm hearing a lot about incentive structures. We build incentive structures around by necessity. You need money to make a living. That's just the way it is. And so sure. we, we've critiqued yeah. the, the fact that a pastor makes money from a church. And if they say something that pisses off the congregation, he out, he's yeah. lost his money. But also with the age right. of Instagram where we are a brand, I am a product. Mm -hmm. I represent something. Mm -hmm. If I say something on Instagram right. that my quote unquote Insta church doesn't like, I lose followers, I lose money. And these can mm -hmm. entrench or slow down our ability to see where we're wrong or change because our audience might want to hold yeah. us there. And I, th that's so true. Yeah. I think that's the theme I hear a lot in what you're saying. So I, I could go on. It's, it's a, tr yeah. it, no, it's just like, it's, it's, you can be a prisoner to your success. You can be a prisoner to your identity and you can be a prisoner to your audience, right? Mm. Like you can, you can have an audience that you've actually grown past, but you don't want to admit that or state that because they will turn on you and they will, you know, take you to the guillotine basically. So yeah, we do. We do always forget that. We all want fame, not realizing that the guillotine lies on the other side. Often, if you if you can't hold the if you can't hold the fickle crowd, uh, I could I could talk yeah. to you for for so much longer, Josh. But I better I better kind of wrap it up, um, mm. real quick, if you if you can be, because I know some listeners will, will really want to drill into this. What is what have you found from your perspective now, where you sit now? Mm. What is helpful about the Christian sexual ethic? to you today hmm. when you say helpful what do you what do you mean exactly like just helpful like do you think there's way? any ideas within this christian sexual ethic worldview that maybe purity culture or maybe there might be mm -hmm. a an idea it comes from that might be misapplied that you can say if someone adheres to the christian mm -hmm. sexual ethic what can you see as being beneficial or do you think or you can say nothing and throw it all out altogether. Or is there just, mm -hmm. is there any redeemable feature within the Christian sexual ethic from where you sit now? Mm. Boy, you know, I don't think I'm ready to answer that question. That's a fantastic question. Yeah. And I feel like uh, if I tried to answer it just uh, off the top of my head, I wouldn't do it justice. So I'm going to, I'm going to play my pass card, but well. um, if you printed those but yourself, you but I'll allow behind, it. If you go behind the paywall, I'll answer the question. I'm kidding. I'm just oh, kidding. Really? I'll hold you to that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, that's a really important question. And I just think that um, it's something that I, 
need to grapple with. And hmm. I think it's something I am grappling with. And um, so I take it as a gift that you gave it to me, but I'm not ready to answer it. I I feel very uh, warm about your rejection of the question. I, I, you, it was well played. The pass card, I'll accept it. Um, I won't hand out too many more. <laughs> no, all right. You, and you might, you may not want to answer this one either. Up to you. Hmm. What do you think is helpful and or harmful about hmm. the... Well, let's, let's go with the inverse of that question. What's harmful hmm. about the Christian sexual ethic? Well, I think... I think you you have to you have to base that question so much on whether or not everything that the Bible is claiming is true about um, who God is, who man is, the significance of of marriage, that how that ties into Christ and the church, and all those kinds of things. So, if all those things are true, and and we're going to answer to God for you know the way that we use our bodies, well, then it's you know. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. It's it's fantastic. Um, when you step outside of that, though, and you step outside of that assumption, I think that um, there is, at least in my reading of Scripture, there is a a very strong <laughs> shame based approach to sexuality that's kind of right there at the start of the story. I think that there is a view of women in particular that's based in um, an ownership kind of model. Uh, there is a patriarchal approach to uh, men and women that is, that is very pronounced. And, um, and I know that there are um, you know, readings and interpretations of the New Testament that, that reverse all that and so on. But I, in my view of those things, that so many of those things that I now view as very negative, I think are very built in and wired into the storyline. Um, and so I haven't quite gotten to that place where I'm able to, you know, read from a more progressive standpoint and say, no, actually that's all been misinterpreted for all these thousands of years and that's not actually there and, and so on. Um, so that's where I think the, the, the harm is. The harm is that I think when you really embrace the Christian sexual ethic, there's a lot of shame around it. And I think it leads to a lot of hypocrisy. In other words, just the, the way human beings act and desire and want and, you know, what's built into us to want to be copulating with lots of different people and, you know, in lots of different forms. It's not always best for society and those types of things, but the, I think the Christian sexual ethic, at least in my view, has created a lot of secrecy and, um, you know, things happening in the shadows and people hiding the aspects of who they really are. And, you know, you just, you can go down the list of, of not just Christians in general, but Christian leaders who that's mm -hmm. been true of. And I think that there's, there's something wrong there besides, Oh, they just weren't accountable enough. So mm. I'll stop there. I want to keep going, but I shan't. I would love to, I'd love to get your now opinion on progressive Christians, because I I think that would be fascinating, but we won't mm. go into it. We'll, we'll we won't we'll, we'll do it another time. Josh, I've already taken so much of your time. Thank you so much for being open, honest, vulnerable, mm. and being free enough to not answer questions because because that's okay as well. Thanks so much. Well, thanks, Conrad. Really fun conversation. I appreciate it. 
Oh, I'm so glad you enjoy it. <laughs> um, now, where can people contact you and see what you're up to and get in touch if they would like? Yeah, you know, I love uh, Instagram. Everybody that's still here on Instagram, thank you guys for for being uh, part of the conversation. So, you know, follow me on Instagram. It's just at Harris Josh. And then uh, my website is joshharris.com. And that's where um, you can learn about the, the message clarity coaching that I do and all of that work. So mm-hmm. awesome. And I, I did, I, I, I won't, I won't ask the question either. I was going to ask how, <laughs> how do you, especially on Instagram, I just saw a, a comment come through the live chat where someone's like, this guy ruined my life. And I'm like, well, how do you, mm. how do you deal with that? But mm. you can pass on that one so we can save time or you can mm. answer it up to you. Well, I mean, the short answer is that, uh, you know, it grieves me and I, mm. I know where they're, they're coming from. Um, mm. So I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my, my work's negatively affected you for sure. Uh, I have so much mm. more. I'd love to listen and learn from you, Josh, but whether you got to this episode and you agree or disagree, I don't care. Agree, disagree. It uh, doesn't really matter. Um, but if you made it to the end and you disagree with the entire bloody thing, you're sitting there and you're like this Josh Harris guy, he's just another angry atheist. I disagree with everything he's saying, but you made it to the mm. end. You have, you, my friend have just, you're the spirit of Ideas Digest. That's the point. If you can make it to the end mm. of an episode of someone that grinds you the wrong way, send me a message. I'll, I'll send you a, a gold medal emoji on Instagram. You've earned it. You've earned it. That's the Ideas Digest pra- practice. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> so much thanks to Josh for taking so much time. And I'll catch you all in the next episode. <laughs>